standing for the reading of God's word. This morning we're turning to the end of 1 Samuel, chapter 31, and then we'll be reading some from the first chapter of 2 Samuel. So, hear, hear the word of the Lord. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons, and his armor-bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived, them, lived in them. And now over to chapter 1. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son. And he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. He said, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. The word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray for your spirit that we may hear your word this morning, that we may be comforted and challenged, that we may be encouraged and strengthened in our faith as we respond to who you are and what you have done for us. May we learn more and more to trust your grace as we go deeper into our relationship with you. So hear us for the sake of your precious Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Still morning. 
Coming to the end of uh, this series here, in fact, we're going to pause this a little bit like watching a Netflix show and you come to the end of season one and you know there's going to be season two, but you're going to be left in, in a cliffhanger. Uh, we'll probably come back to Second Samuel um, and, and continue the life of David next summer-ish, uh, but we're going to pause after today. We're going to pick up Ephesians, so two things if you want homework. Um, some of you have got enough homework already, but if you want more, you can uh, A, reflect on some of the things that we're going to talk about today, and B, you can reread Ephesians. We're going to be picking up in chapter 4 uh, next week. We went through 1 to 3 last fall. Uh, we'll be picking up Ephesians chapter 4 next week. So that's a, a, enough of commercial. Today, though, we're going to uh, finish off this season uh, in First in Samuel and, and end it in Second Samuel chapter 1. If you remember back in the very beginning, I said uh, the structure of this corpus, this book of Samuel, uh, in the original there's no first and second Samuel, it's just Samuel. Uh, is, is divided up by three songs. Mark started us off reading 2 Samuel chapter 22. Uh, then we had our readers reading Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And then there's this lament of David in the middle here in 2 Samuel chapter 1. And those sort of three songs are, are guide us through our understanding of this. Talked about in the very beginning, you know, there's some theme music, kind of like you might have in Indiana Jones or uh, Star Wars, and you hear the theme music and, and you remember like there is, you know, a, a, an overarching story that is, is being told throughout this book. Today we're coming to this lament, and I don't know how closely you read the silent meditation this morning from Ecclesiastes 7, 1 to 4. Uh, it says some pretty interesting things. You know, a good name, better than precious ointment. The day of death is better than the day of birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Now, I don't know about you, but we just had a baby born in our family. Uh, grandchild for me, he's awesome, he's perfect, he's beautiful. I can already tell he's very intelligent uh, and all sorts of other things. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine that the day of death is better than the day of birth. I mean, we, we were celebrating, we're so thankful for uh, this testimony and, and everything that went with it. What, what does the Bible mean? You know, what does Solomon, David's son, mean when he says that the day of death is better than the day of birth? We get a little bit of this sense here in this passage, if you remember in 2 Samuel chapter 1, David pauses... When Saul dies and he sings this lament, David, the poet king of Israel, he sings this lament and he has it taught to all of Judah and actually put in this book of Jashar, the book of the upright, 
which seems to be a chronicle of important events in, in Israel's history. We have the, the only other mention of it in the scriptures is in Joshua where they have the battle where the sun stood still. That's recorded in the book of Jashar. Uh, but David says this lament is important. This day of death is important. It's something that we need to remember. And so that's what I want to sort of pick at this morning and, and see if we can draw some of these threads together and, and try to understand what is going on, why this importance of lament remembering the, the day of death. Let me just bring you up to speed in terms of the story. Uh, we have two different tracks going on, if you've been following closely. Uh, we have the David track, which we started back in, in 26. So after his situation with Abigail, or actually in 27, after his situation with Abigail, he spares Saul's life again in 26. Then in 27, he decides that his life is forfeit. And, and he flees, he despairs of the Lord's care, he goes and he lives among the Philistines, uh, he runs this deception, um, he does it very well, so much so that Achish, the king of, uh, of Gath, one of the Philistine cities, wants David to be his armor bearer, one of his elite troops, as he goes to battle against Jerusalem. Uh, against the Israelites. And, and David's like, now this is not a good situation. I don't want to do this. Uh, God rescues him, extricates him from that situation. Uh, and David goes back to Ziklag where he's living, which is a Philistine city, but he is living there with all of his family, only to find out that the Amalekites have come to Ziklag and carried off all David's wives, all his men's wives, all of those. It's at that point that David strengthens himself in the Lord, and then in a section that we didn't cover at the end of chapter 30, David goes after the Amalekites, he defeats them and brings everything back to Ziklag, which is where he is in 2 Samuel chapter 1 when he receives the news of Saul's death. On the Saul track, we have Saul getting ready to fight the Philistines, which Achish and the other kings are, are going to inflict this battle on the Israelites. Saul is very desperate, and as Michael laid out for us last night, or last week, he snakes his way through the enemy lines in order to engage the services of this necromancer, this witch of Endor. Uh, he receives the, the news there that he is going to die. Uh, he goes back. He is now in the battle, and indeed, everything comes to fruition, and he does die. So, so those are the two tracks, the Saul track and the David track, and kind of how they come together. And here we are. It's the day. David is in Ziklag, having just rescued his family and his people. Uh, Saul is fighting the Philistines on the mountains of Gilboa, and he dies. Now, what do we take of this? Uh, a couple of thoughts for you here. The first is this. Whenever somebody dies, it is a moment to lament. Uh, this is our, our lament for humanity in general. You know, one might have thought for David when he received news that, that Saul was dead, 
that, that David would have been happy. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 1, the first 16 verses before we got to verse 17, there's an Amalekite who tries to trade on this belief that David will be happy that Saul is dead, and he brings him the crown, and he brings him the armband, and he says, I'm the one that killed Saul, and he's expecting that David will say, that's awesome. You, you get a prominent place in my kingdom. But instead, David begins to grieve. How dare you raise your hand against the Lord's anointed? And David actually has that guy killed uh, for what he purported to do, killing Saul, which was probably not even true in the first place, as we saw from chapter 31 of 1 Samuel. So Saul took his own life. Uh, all that to say... For David, he recognizes that the death of someone who is even an enemy, someone who has been harmful to you, someone who has set himself against you, someone who has not fulfilled all of the promise that the Lord has put in their life, even someone like that is a moment to lament and to grieve and, and to realize that something has been lost. And we just sang about that. You know, God has made this creation. It's wonderful and it's beautiful. Uh, we see it in, in outside in the trees and in the storms and all of these different things. But the crowning point of his creation, as we just sang, is humanity. It, it's only in humans that God has put his image and when we recognize that that image has been lost and dies, that is a time for us to grieve and lament. I, I, I highlight this, you know, partially because it seems that we've forgotten this a lot in modern times. You know, in modern times, things have become so polarized and so against one another that, that we, we just want to cancel somebody who is, uh, who is our enemy, who doesn't think as we have, whether it's a political party or whether it's somebody in our family or a pastor that we had somewhere along the way. You know, when we see that, that they haven't lived up to what God has called them to, that they have caused us harm, you know, we want to celebrate their demise. David does just the opposite. Because he says, even in those who display the brokenness of the world most acutely, there is something to be praised, and there is beauty to be recognized, and we need to remember that every human is, uh, every human is worth our valuing. Um, again, very different. Than, than modern times push us to. It, it is interesting, you know, when we do funerals, I think we instinctively remember this. Uh, funerals, and we've had a few here this uh, 2023. Funerals are, are a time when there's lots of emotions going around. You, you have a father who passed away or a mother or a brother or whatever, and you, we all know that they weren't perfect people. Uh, we all know that they had brokenness and they exhibited it, but most often at a funeral, people aren't getting up to tear down the person who is dead. We, we remember the good times. We remember the good things about that person. 
I think there's something right about that. You know, C.S. Lewis has that sermon, The Weight of Glory, uh, this idea that every person we meet has this value. And it's interesting here in, in this one, in David's lament for humanity, David shows us that he has a depth to him that we could argue even makes him a worthy king. Uh, Robert Vinoy, who is a, a commentator, he puts it this way, the lament that David uh, sings here provides an unusual insight into the deepest feelings and thoughts of David at a crucial turning point in his life. So this is crucial. Remember, 27.1, he goes into the wilderness because he thinks all is lost. Now, 30, he strengthens himself in the Lord, but now in 31, everything changes. I mean, David, Saul is dead. Uh, David, the pathway to the kingship that he's been anointed to is clear for him. Even though Saul had waged a long-steading vendetta against him, and in spite of the fact that Saul sought to take his life, David showed no vindictiveness towards him when he learned of his death. Instead of spiteful recriminations for the abuse that he had suffered at Saul's hands, and instead of any expression of elation at his demise, David showed only respect and honor for the person whom he continued to recognize as the Lord's anointing, notwithstanding his abuse of the office with which he was entrusted. In all of this, David showed himself to be a person worthy of the royal office to which he too had already been anointed. In the larger context of the flow of redemptive history, David's conduct on this occasion points forward to the coming Messiah, who would pray for those who crucified him, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they were doing, who would reconcile his chosen ones to the Father, even when they were his enemies, Romans 8, 5, who would exhort his followers to love their enemies and pray for those who persecuted them. David here is demonstrating to us the anti-cancel culture. He's demonstrating to us uh, a, a, a way of seeing the world, a way of inhabiting the gospel truths that sees beyond the brokenness of an individual to the glory uh, that we all inherently have, which we occupy, like uh, You've always been drawn by Francis Schaeffer talking about humanity as the glorious ruin. You know, we, we all have things that speak to our fallenness, that speak to the ruin, but we don't lose the glory. And, and even the, the worst of humanity still retains, though shattered, I think is the way the Canons of Dort puts it, uh, it, though marred, it retains the image of God in humanity. So David points us the way, he points us to Christ, you know, who so even as he was being unjustly crucified said, forgive them, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Third thing I want to just uh, and, and it's a bit of a tangent, but I think it's important, and I think the text points us to this. You know, under this lament for humanity, just the, the, the holiness of life and the image of God in us, what do you think about Saul taking his own life? What, what, what sort of thoughts did you have there? I mean, did you kind of pay attention to uh, some of his reasoning in that? 
you know, Saul has always been very self-focused, like all the time when we interact with him, he's, he's really focused on what's happening for him, and it's kind of the same. Here at the, his death, he's worried about, you know, the, the Philistines taking him, abusing him, mistreating him. He's, he's very self-focused. You know, when we come to the issue of suicide, and, and I know that many of you have folks who have taken their own life who are close to you. Um, when, we, when we start to talk a little bit about uh, even euthanasia, because there's a certain sense what, what Saul was asking his armor bearer to do was to euthanize him. Um, these are complex, and I realize that. You know, we have depression and mental illness, and there are various things that are going on within us. Um, and, and it's not always just a, a black and white, right and wrong, clear thing to say. But I do think that one of the things that we can say is that it's really sad. You know, it, it's really sad that, that Saul has gotten to this point where he is only looking out for himself. And that he's not trusting the Lord. And this has been the huge arc of his life. So it's not like we just come to this moment and then all of a sudden that's the thing that defines Saul. But there's a huge arc to his life, as Michael pointed out last week. You know, a, a, an arc of disobedience, you know, of life lived away from fellowship with God. Where this is what he thinks is the best. You know, in this moment, he can't trust himself to God. And I'm not saying that it's easy. You know, what Saul experienced on Mount Gilboa was not easy. It's not easy to have your lifeblood running out of you. It's not easy to think about being put into the hands of the Philistines. And I know some of you that are dealing with chronic pain, it's not easy that are dealing with, uh, you know, debilitating physical conditions or just old age. It's not easy. And sometimes we say we want that armor bearer, somebody there to, to help us to ease from one life to the next. It's, it's not easy. Nobody's saying that. But there's something that's precious about life and, and something that this story says, will, will you trust the Lord? You know, Saul's ark was away from trusting the Lord. Will you, will you trust the Lord even when it is most difficult because your life is precious and you bear the image of God? The second thing uh, I want to highlight, and you may say, that was already like three or four things. Uh, <laughs> but the second thing that I want to highlight is just this lament for a son. Um, I've been struck by Jonathan here. Some of you have been tracking, you know, Jonathan's arc in the story. You know, Saul's got his arc. David's got his arc. Jonathan's got his own arc. Interestingly enough, uh, you know, think about some of the good guys in 1 Samuel. Think about Eli. Eli was a pretty good guy. Uh, think about Samuel. Uh, think about uh, David. Um, all of the good guys have bad sons. Did you ever notice that? Like, you know, Eli's kids didn't walk with the Lord. Samuel's kids didn't walk with the Lord, perverted justice. Uh, David, you know, Absalom rebels against him. Uh, all of these things, things don't go well. With Solomon, has got his moments. 
Saul's a bad guy in this story and has a good son. Isn't that kind of the way life goes sometimes? You know, we, we don't, it's not always a straight line. Good people have good kids, you know, bad people have bad kids. We, we sometimes think that there is a formula. But Jonathan just seems to me to have a really interesting arc. It's this arc that's filled with all this promise. You know, Jonathan takes the Philistine garrison in that passage that, that Roger expounded for us uh, back in, I think, chapter 14. Uh, Jonathan shows valor. You know, Jonathan is a friend. David talks about this, you know, in the lament. He says, Jonathan, you have been such a friend to me. You know, your love for me has surpassed the love of women. He's not talking about anything erotic there. What he's saying there is, is the friendship that we have has been deeper even even than, you know, the friendship that a husband and a wife might have. He, he's just saying there's a value in that friendship. Jonathan was, was a good friend. He was valorous. He, he was a good son. I mean, here he is in verse 2. And, and he's just, he's there with Saul to the very end. And now he's dead on Mount Gilboa. And yeah, I kind of look at his life and I think, Jonathan, could, could there have been more? You know, maybe you should have gone over with David. You should have left Saul. You could have had a prominent place in, in David's kingdom. You could have been one of his mighty men. You could have done so much more. But that wasn't the place that God had for him. God, God had him in this place where he had his moment in, in battle he was called to be a faithful friend, and he was called to be a faithful son. And he did all of those things. Uh, he did all of those things, and in doing that, he, he points us to Christ. You remember when Jonathan strips off his royal robes and his sword, and he gives them to David, and he says, I, I'm, you're going to be the king. It's a picture for us of Christ, you know, leaving his throne in heaven in order to go to a cross in order that we might be sons and daughters of, of the living God. And I just think that there's something there for the Jonathans of this world. You know, you feel like you're in a bad situation. You feel like there could be so much more for your life. You feel like your life is bound up with this scoundrel like Saul. And you, you may be a little bit frustrated by that. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a spouse. You know, maybe it is a company or a friend, and you just feel like it's going nowhere. But there's something about that ordinary faithfulness. There's something about being the very best version of yourself in the place where God has you, even if the end is you lie slain on the mountain Gilboa. It's good. And, and I think we can affirm that with Jonathan's Ark. The third thing that I'll mention is uh, this lament for lost longings. If you read David's lament, sort of the, the refrain in this is how the mighty have fallen. You see it in verse 19. You see it in verse 25. You see it in verse 27, how the mighty have fallen. And throughout this lament, there's talk about uh, war and victory. You know, the shield of the mighty was defiled. The shield of Saul, was he not anointed with oil? 
the blood of the slain, the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, the sword of Saul returned not empty. So these are all emblems of strength. Uh, we see the, the sort of the, the economic prosperity that Saul brought to Israel. Because again, one of the things that we have to remember is that we have sort of insight into Saul that not all of the Israelites have. You know, we, we sort of see Saul uh, in his mind and pursuing David, and I'm not even sure all the Israelites knew that David was anointed at this time, so, so they don't see the, the battle that is going on between the two anointeds. Uh, we, we know that Saul goes to the witch of Endor, but I, I'm not sure that all the Israelites know this. So for them, Saul is emblematic of everything that they are hoping for. You know, they're hoping for a king, if you go back to 1 Samuel 8, verse 2, they're hoping for a king who will judge them rightly and lead them in battle. We want security and we want order. You know, these are the things that we want. Saul promises that he will make them rich. And, and here, he's, he's clothed these daughters of Israel luxuriously in scarlet. He, in scarlet. He's put ornaments of gold on your apparel. Everything from a worldly standpoint has been good. Thumbs up. You know, Saul and Jonathan, they've, they've won some battles. Israel is doing okay. The, the economy is good. Everything is to be celebrated. But what we remember is that those are not the things that the Lord values. And from the very beginning, God has made it clear that Saul is the people's choice for a king. These are the people's longings that they have. But Saul's not God's choice. And, and, and Saul's ways and what Saul accomplishes, this is not God's longings for us as a people. And this is where we, we begin to hear that music again. Dun, 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 dun. You're, you're like clicked in. And, and we remember that, that first song, you know, where, where Hannah is talking about uh, the, the ways of the Lord. She says, my heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. No rock like our God. The Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. She says, remember, Israel, you have a king, and his name is Yahweh. He, he is the one that leads you into battle. He is the one that creates, uh, creates order in your land. He is the one who will give you what you need. He is to be your king, but his ways are not like the nations. You know, that's what Israel wanted. They wanted a king like the nations, but look at the ways of the Lord. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble, they bind on strength. Those who are fill, full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The, the barren has borne seven, but she who has all the children on the outside is forlorn. The Lord kills, the Lord brings to life. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low and exalts. He raises the poor up from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. God's ways 
are not our ways. And if we're longing for might, if we're longing for power, if we're longing for security, if we're longing for order, if we're longing for economic success, that is not where you are going to be satisfied. That is not where you are going to find your happiness. What, what this lament teaches us is that the mighty have fallen. The mighty, the ones that you were counting on, the ones who were emblematic of all of the strength, they lie dead on Mount Gilboa, and they have nothing more to offer you. So what's the hope? In the UK, other places where there are um, monarchies, um, and, and we obviously just went through it, you know, the queen died. Uh, the queen is dead. But then the response is, long live the king. There, there's this understanding that as we transition from one monarch to another, that death gives way to a new monarch, to a new king. And that's our hope. Because as Peter was preaching in Acts, in chapter 2, he, he was talking about, you know, this was Pentecost. This is all of the people, what's our hope? You know, what, 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 what sort of life or expectations can, can we have? And Peter says, there is a new monarch, and he cannot be killed. He says, we, you know David, you know, if you are an Israelite, you, you've always celebrated David, but, but David is dead, and he is in the tomb, and we know exactly where his tomb is. But Jesus, Jesus, who, who went to that cross and who his enemies thought they had killed, he's still living, and he is reigning, and the tomb could not hold him. He is the king that we have longed for. He is the king uh, to put an end to all other kings. Saul dies. Jonathan dies. David dies. You know, Solomon, Rehoboam, Manasseh, Hezekiah, they all die. All of these kings who are pointing us to Jesus, they die to live no more. But there's one king. There's one king who cannot be killed. There's one king who... Very different than Saul. Again, Saul, you know, is stripping off his robes, we saw last week, engaging the powers of darkness in order that he might save his life. He, he's saying, kill me so that I don't have to go through suffering at the hand of the Philistines. But there's another king who strips off his robes, engages the powers of life in order that he might bring us life. He is willing to give himself over to death in order that we might live. He is, ordered, he, is, he is about taking the poor and exalting them, even while bringing down those who think they have everything uh, and showing them the way of humility. Here's the question. After all of this, you know, we've been looking at 1 Samuel. Do you know the king? Do you know the king who cannot die? Do you know the king who sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father? Do you know the king who does not care about earthly power and success and wealth? He doesn't care who's the prettiest. He doesn't care who's the most athletic. He doesn't care who's got all of the gifts and charisma. He doesn't care about any of that. 
What he cares about is where is your heart? Is it surrendered? Is it recognizing that he alone is king? Is it recognizing that only only the Lord Jesus is worthy of our fealty, of our devotion, of our surrender? And that's the question. You know, at the very beginning we said we're going to talk about longing for a king. And, And it wasn't really about Saul. It's not really about David. It's about the king who goes to a cross. It's about the king who reigns forever. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We think about these Old Testament stories, as Paul says in, in Romans, they're, they're given to us for our instruction. It's easy to come to chapters like uh, 31 and, and 1 of, of the book of Samuel and, and say there's nothing here for us. Instead, we, we find all sorts of things that are relevant to the very questions of our age, and most of all, they're relevant to the very core of our being. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to think about these things, to reflect on them. Better is the day of death than the day of birth. And the living are wise when they lay it to heart. Help us to lay it to heart, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.